This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Welcome to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. On the show, we're on the road with a mobile skin cancer screening program, Let's Play Ball, Pickleball, that is, and Operation Behave. But first... Many of us are still basking in the glow of the recent coronation of King Charles and Queen Camilla. I frankly found the pomp and ceremony to be a valuable lesson in history and tradition. That got me thinking about the upcoming Victoria Day holiday. For many, it's simply the unofficial start of the summer season. To others, it's the chance to celebrate Queen Victoria's birthday and also to remember and be inspired by all she accomplished over her reign of 63 years and 216 days. Here to discuss the significance of Victoria Day on May 22nd is Ontario's 29th Lieutenant Governor, the Honourable Elizabeth Dowdswell. Welcome to the feed, Your Honour. It is such a pleasure to have you with us. Well, thanks so much, Anne. It's a pleasure to speak with you as well. And may I say, as a proud citizen of Ontario, when I looked at the visuals of you on Coronation Day, I thought, the Lieutenant Governor looks smashing. (laughs) <laughs> That's very kind of you. It was uh, it was a wonderful day, and of course, after weeks of rain, it seems it ha- it was just a glorious day to be outside. Everybody was enjoying themselves and uh, really ready for a celebration. And a celebration it was, and on the lawn of Queens Park. Where did that idea come from, Your Honor? Well, you know, we we uh, talked a lot about what we would do, and one of the things that uh, we wanted to do was to officially and formally recognize the day with a flag raising, but then we wanted to make sure that it wasn't just an event uh, for a few people. And so um, I give due credit to the Premier, who really supported the idea of having a um, a family picnic, much like they were doing the following day in the United Kingdom, and that's where the idea of opening up Queens Park to for the whole afternoon to allow people to come enjoy the outdoors with their kids and uh, have some good food, courtesy of Ontario's growers, and uh, and also some fun and games, and much to my particular interest, there were long lineups to actually get into the legislature oh, to, uh, <laughs> to see the building, which was wonderful. So maybe even a lesson in civics. <laughs> we actually have been thinking about coronation uh, longer than just that one day. And, uh, and so uh, we actually started celebrating uh, the week before, and we deliberately have reached out to very different audiences. So we had, uh, for example, a wonderful panel discussion about the monarchy and about coronation with mostly young people. And then we took um, coronation music uh, to long-term care homes via Zoom with some amazing musicians. And uh, and then uh, just uh, yesterday, uh, I spent the morning at Appleby College with, uh, again, hundreds of students. Uh, in an outdoor chapel, uh, going through a ceremony and a tree planting. So the the events continue. We're going to be opening up uh, our offices um, uh, when doors open is normally held, and it's going to have a coronation theme this year. 
I think that's brilliant. And, you know, it's a learning curve for all of us in a way. And it also is an opportunity to continue to explore the tradition of the monarchy. And that leads me to the Victoria Day holiday. As I mentioned in our introduction, a lot of people think it's a time to go and open the cottage and to start planting and to, you know, celebrate the fact that summer is just around the corner. But for others who are really involved in the monarchy or want to know more about it, this is a very special day. Victoria Day. Well, of course, it uh, it's been in existence for a very long time. It was originally created to celebrate Queen Victoria's birthday, and now it's when the monarch's birthday is officially celebrated in Canada. But you know, um, I was trying to think about what what people like to do on Victoria Day. And one of the commitments I know that King Charles has made over the years has been to um, understand the importance of our environment and his commitment to sustainability. And so maybe on Victoria Day this year, it's a great day to get out and enjoy our provincial parks, which will be open for the long weekend, but just to see the incredible natural beauty that, we, that we've been um, blessed with in our province. That's maybe a good way to start. But in many ways, you know, this whole period of time, starting with the coronation, has been an opportunity to really reflect on um, continuity and change. You know, we've got, we've faced with a lot of change this past year, and yet the crown has always been there. It's been always present, providing continuity and comfort and stability. And I think that's really an important part of our constitutional democracy. So I think as we reflect on things that are important to Ontarians, the value of service, the, the way in which we are compassionate and caring, our respect for diversity and human rights, all of those things, social justice, um, we're, we're actually very open to the world, but we, we want a world that works for everyone. And I think if we, whatever we're doing on Victoria Day, if we take a moment to, to just think about what we've come through in the last three years or so with a great unwavering spirit, um, it's been a very difficult time for many in the province. And I'm hoping that, um, that we can reflect on the fact that the Crown has been there to provide that kind of support and comfort uh, during those difficult times. And can we also take inspiration from Queen Victoria herself? I mean, her reign was long, and it was only, uh, I, I guess, her great-granddaughter, Queen Elizabeth II, great-great-granddaughter, she reigned longer, and the only person to reign longer than Queen Victoria. But she was inspiring. She was a woman before her time. She was a monarch of, of, of many, many talents. We can be inspired by someone like that in 2023. Well, you won't get any argument for me when you uh, when you point out impressive women in the past, uh, what they were able to do uh, at those times, and continuing today is is uh, well worth celebrating. And I think, in many ways, um, the traditions of uh, the monarchy uh, and the uh, values that are that have been held year after year by members of the monarchy. Are, uh, are ones that are very re uh, responsive to uh, what Ontarians are saying today. 
it's um, yes, sometimes the symbols uh, require a little explanation, and people wonder about whether it uh, is uh, is really resilient enough. But I think it is, and uh, I think uh, as long as we uh, continue to feel that those values remain, um, then it's well worth celebrating. You became Lieutenant Governor of Ontario while Queen Elizabeth was on the throne. Now we have a new king. What is your relationship like with King Charles III? Well, you know, I've been fortunate to meet him on uh, numerous occasions and uh, certainly was well aware of his work uh, before I came into this position. You know, he, he foreshadowed years and years ago his prescient understanding of the environment. He was talking about sustainability long before it became in fashion to do so. But I think perhaps what people need to remember is that he has had a commitment to service for years and years. He's cared about how one builds communities. And I've seen some of his experimental communities in the UK. Uh, He's always uh, cared about this country and he's had an abiding curiosity, particularly uh, with respect to Indigenous peoples. And so I think his renewed commitment to reconciliation will also make him uh, a, a figure of great interest and people will be following what he's able to do. The other thing that I think uh, is not often reported on is his lifelong commitment to young people. That's really why he started the Prince's Trust decades ago and thousands of young people have been supported through that program all over the all over the world, and so he um, he continues to do that. And he's, you know, he's very very gracious. He he when you're with him, he's really warm. He has a generosity of spirit. Um, he loves to be out in nature. He he of course is well known for his love of organic farming. But I remember at the start of um, uh, I guess it was Canada 50 when he was visiting, Canada 150, sorry, when he was visiting um, uh, Prince Edward County. And he just loves being out with the farmer's markets and things like that. So that and his loyalty, um, loyalty to the military, for example, um, it's, uh, he, has, um, he has all of those values that I think Canadians and Ontarians respect. And I feel certain that King Charles and Queen Camilla will be thinking about us on Victoria Day, on on the celebration of his, what would that be, great, 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 how many greats are there, <laughs> but so many, with his grandmother, all the things that she did and, and the service that she was committed to and the leadership that she showed. May I ask you, Your Honour, what your message is to Ontarians. Victoria Day is on Monday, the 22nd of May. What is your message to Ontarians? Well, my message is that, uh, that I think we're very fortunate to live in a constitutional democracy where we can evolve, where we can experience those traditions and stability that uh, is provided, but we can also grow and develop. And I think we, we could do no better than to uh, exhibit the kind of kindness and caring that our new king has shown for many people around this world for many, many years. And I think that is, um, 
is something that should guide us in in building our own communities, in caring for those around us. What an honour to have you on the show, on the feed. Thank you, Ontario's 29th Lieutenant Governor Elizabeth Dowdswell. Very, very much appreciated. And happy Victoria Day. Oh, and to you as well. Thank you. This May long weekend, many people will be celebrating the unofficial start of summer. For some, an annual tradition is letting off fireworks. As Glenn Perkins discovered, there are rules that really need to be followed. Jason Scoville is a division chief with Markham Fire Prevention. Jason, during this long weekend, anyone who wants to let off fireworks, will they need to get a permit? For this weekend, no. Uh, there's no permit requirements typically, okay, and I can speak to Markham specifically. Uh, we have allowances for the Victoria Day and the Canada Day, no permit required. What are the restrictions for using fireworks? So uh, what you want to do is, first of all, purchase them from a uh, reliable uh, vendor, and you'll see them typically in um, uh, shopping mall parking lots uh, with the trailer or uh, retail stores with a posted license. And you want to make sure that you're buying consumer packages and not loose articles like you know, firecrackers and whatnot, which are prohibited uh, in Canada. Stick to the packaging that is available in the stores. You should be okay in that respect. Once we purchase our legal fireworks, where can we set them off? You want to do it on your own personal private property, right? I know there's a temptation to go to public parks because of all the open space, but you don't want to do that. Stay away from the public areas. Do it on your private property. Typically, a backyard is what people will do. And follow the manufacturer's instructions for each piece that you use. People forget that while they look pretty in the sky, these are actually explosive devices that can seriously injure. Oh, yes. Every year, uh, the hospitals report injuries. Uh, typically, they are burned to the upper body. Uh, a lot of it just comes from uh, 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 making mistakes in the context of how they're being used. So you want to make sure that only adults are using them. Over 18 years of age is the idea. You want to make sure that all the spectators are kept well back. Uh, you want to make sure that you're placing the firework in a stable base, either buried in the ground or in a bucket of sand, something like that. And then uh, uh, as you set them off, eye protection is very helpful um, and making sure that everyone has a clear space to watch safely. Some communities in the GTA have actually banned residents for setting off personal fireworks. This follows complaints by their neighbours. This is something else that we need to take into consideration, isn't it? Because fireworks are loud. Absolutely. Great point. Check with your municipality because each municipality in your region and, and so forth are going to have different regulations. And, and as you say, yes, some municipalities have banned them. Speaking specifically to Markham, they are permitted, but we really advise that people be very careful uh, with how you use them. Uh, and there is one scenario that happens sometimes where you go to light it and it doesn't go off the way it's supposed to. We call that a misfire. Okay, and so there's, there's a temptation to light it again and light it again. Don't do that. Leave it alone for 30 minutes, and then after that 30 minutes, take that firework, place it in a bucket of water, submerged. That's one safety tip that you can use uh, when that happens. Jason Scoville, Division Chief with Markham Fire Prevention. Thank you for joining us on the feed. Thanks very much.
Next, keeping our neighborhood safe, Kevin Frankish with Operation Behave. Last weekend, Canada's Wonderland here in Vaughan opened for the season. Always something to look forward to, but sadly, some, well, let's just call them jerks, created a lot of problems in the park. Security of the park, along with York Regional Police, were very quick to act, and there were no major incidents, thank goodness. But what happens this weekend, next weekend? A lot of parents are worried. A lot of people in the community are worried as well. Well, York Regional Police are acting quickly on trying to make sure this doesn't happen again. An operation called Operation Behave. Right now, joining me is uh, Clint uh, Whitney of the York Regional Police Service to tell me more about this operation and tell me more about the roots of the operation as well, when it actually started. Hi, Clint. Hi, Kevin. Uh, thanks for having us to uh, talk about this because it's an important discussion. Um, it, it is, and, and I want to say, I just want to say, in the outset, you know, the, the the actions of of your officers and and Canada's Wonderland Security stop this from getting out of control because I mean that this had the potential last weekend of becoming a huge issue. So I don't want anybody blaming the park or anything like that, but it it almost makes a lot of people feel almost helpless. Well, it's understandable when people are going to a place, um, an area like that, the Jane Street, Norwood area of the city of Vaughan, it's got a lot of great restaurants, it's got a lot of great businesses, it's got a great amusement park. People are going there to have a good time. They want to feel safe. They want to feel secure. They don't want to have anxiety. And we support that 100%. That's what the area is for, is to be enjoyed. And it's unacceptable when you get a few bad apples that show up in the area and start uh, acting in an unruly behavior or an unruly fashion and in some cases criminal fashion and, and, and wreck the ability to enjoy it for everybody. So last weekend, uh, York Regional Police responded to several calls um, in the area of Jane Street and Norwood Avenue, including on the grounds of Canada's Wonderland. Now, from our perspective, those incidents were minor in nature and we dealt with each one of them no problem. They weren't connected with one another, and we dealt with them one at a time. But in the totality of the situation, the number of incidents that we had to go to, and I don't have the exact number, but it, it kept us busy that night, that is unacceptable. That we had that many incidents that we had to, to deal with, it's unacceptable. And it caused a lot of anxiety and fear amongst the people out in the area. Mm-hmm. This was posted on social media. It was posted uh, and, and, and talked about by the media. Understandably so. Parents would be upset. The other teenagers that were being affected by this would be upset. The park goers and the business owners in the area are all upset by this, and we get it. Now, no charges, no criminal charges resulted from these minor incidents I'm talking about, but several guests were arrested and escorted from the park by police. That shouldn't have to happen. No. People should be able to go to the park. There shouldn't have to be arrests being made. Uh, This should be a place where everybody from all across Canada can come and enjoy it in peace and, and just have a good time. So... This is not the first time we've dealt with this sort of situation. Last summer, in July, there was a number of swarming-style robberies and other crimes that began to increase in that area in the the midst of the summer. Yeah, and it wasn't just that we should point out, too, it wasn't just in the park. It it was in the Jane Norwood area in plazas there where we had an, an increase in the number of swarmings. Kevin, I think it's important to mention that because a lot of attention is drawn to the park because it's a it's a major attraction in that area, but People can come and go from that park, and people in the area um, are are, be, are affecting the other businesses. The criminals are creating trouble outside the park as well, at businesses in the area. 
And it's, it's definitely just that general vicinity that we're looking at, that corridor. And so we've, we implemented Operation Behave in response to the swarming style robberies that took place last year. And that had an increased police presence with a zero tolerance approach towards uh, criminality. And we found that the incidence of robbery and disturbances and so forth declined after that. And the operation was successful. We had intended to relaunch that program proactively this, this year in the summer um, to deal with the same issues. And in fact, to maybe get ahead of it um, in the summertime. Now, the park opened last weekend. And as I mentioned, we responded to too many incidents. Um, and so combined with the fact that that happened, combined with the community's um, anxiety about what's taking place, their concerns about feeling safe and secure in that area, we are going to implement that right now. In fact, it is implemented. Mm -hmm. The relaunch has happened. Operation Behave is in effect. And the idea is that we're going to have uh, officers prioritizing patrols in that area, in police cars, on bicycles, on foot. Some of the officers are going to be highly visible, some less so. There's going to be frontline police. There's going to be youth engagement officers, community-oriented response officers, and even a few detectives um, are going to be participating in this program. York Regional Police is taking a stand in this area, and the objective is to deter criminal activity and unruly behavior and reassure the public that the police are there to keep the peace and help people. Mm -hmm. Now, the officers in this operation are going to take a zero-tolerance approach to, to crime and unruly behavior, but it's not all about enforcement. It's also about being visible, accessible, and approachable. So the officers that are involved in this, they're going to seek opportunities to engage with people, especially youth, and we're going to talk with them and help everyone feel safe and secure in this vibrant area of Vaughan. One of, one of my concerns, Clint, uh, when I watched the videos, and there were a lot of them that were posted to social media, was the fact that, that when there was an incident uh, and a lot of young people were drawn to it like a magnet instead of doing, I think, what they should have done and get as far away from that as you possibly can. And this this unfortunately results in two things. Either they may actually get drawn directly into the incident or just the fact they're there to video it and take pictures will egg on the bad guys. And, and, and we don't want that. I think you're right. I think there's there's no reason to glorify this. There's no reason to to promote it uh, or to give any sort of stage to the, to the offenders that are causing these problems. Let's not give them the, the infamy that they desire. So I would encourage people to, if anything, something like this happens, if you're going to use your phone, use it to call police or call the security line or call for help. Get out of the way. Don't get involved with it. Um, and certainly don't encourage it. Um, I think that's a good point. Unfortunately, we see that, you know, it's, it's sort of the way things work these days. Uh, people are more inclined to film things than, than mm -hmm. to get involved in help um, or get out of the way. But this brings me to the next point. I think we should have a message when we implement this operation to parents. Parents need to be aware that the majority of these incidents that we're dealing with have involved teenagers. And not all teenagers. I mean, the majority of the teenagers there are great. They're there to have a good time. And they're just as upset about what's going on as anybody else. But there are a few bad apples, and the majority mm -hmm. of those bad apples have been teenagers. So we're going to urge parents who are not able to supervise their teens um, to have conversations with them about the consequences of misbehavior or criminal acts at 
that area because we are going to be taking a zero tolerance approach and you know if you get involved in criminality uh, you're looking at possibly facing serious charges mm -hmm. as well as being prohibited from returning to the park because people can be trespassed from from there and never be allowed to return so, so there are consequences and we want we want you know uh, these teens that if they see something to say something so what kind of things are you looking for you know how do i know it's something maybe i i better call police on this and should they call 911 should they use 911 okay that's a great question i think the idea here is if anybody whether it's citizens or business owners in the area people uh, that are, are guests at any of these venues if they see something that they feel is wrong, that they feel is suspicious, that they feel is something that the police need to get involved in, just call us. We don't mind getting the calls. In fact, we encourage it. We will respond. We, we want to know if something's going wrong, and we want to know if something might go wrong. So if you, just, if you have a bad feeling about something, if your, your spidey senses are tingling, call the police, because that's what we're here for. We're here to prevent something from happening as, as much as we are to deal with something that's already happening. So we encourage them to call us, but 911, that's for an emergency. So if there's something in progress, there's something happening, and it's, it's urgent, it's either you know endangering life or endangering public safety, that's when you pick up the phone and you dial 911. That's an emergency. But we do have a non-emergency line as well, and, and people can call that for just if they're, if they're not feeling like things are great, if they're thinking that there's a problem that's brewing, if they have information about something that may happen, they can call us. And that number is 1-866-876-5423. It's also 1-866-8-POLICE, if you spell it out on your phone. Okay. And, and I mean, the, you can also you, you flag over a security officer or you flag over a cop if, because there's, they're going to be all over the park. That's true. We have, there's, there's security staff all over the place there, and we often pair up police officers with security staff uh, in the park. So, you know, if you, if you see one, they can easily reach uh, one of the others, too. So we have a pretty good communication system between the two, uh, between us and our partners in the area. And you know what? We've been uh, working with them for a while. We've got a good system in place, and we've been doing a lot of training, too. So we work well together, and we'll deal with the situations as they come up. But we're hoping that the situations don't even start in the first place, or we're advised of them in advance so that we can do preventative behavior. Yeah, we love Wonderland. Uh, it's a great place. You know, uh, my kids went there, and when they were teens, they went on their mm -hmm. own. Um, it, it is still an extremely safe uh, place, uh, despite these these minor incidents. Uh, so just we need parents to talk to their kids. We need kids to get involved and we need them not to get involved with the incidents, but to get involved in keeping their park uh, a safe place. Sergeant Clint Whitney of York Regional Police talking to me about Operation Behave. Thanks, Clint. Thank you very much, Kevin. Coming up, the unique program to screen for skin cancer. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Sunny. 
sunny days, ah, oh, we love them. We build events, vacations, our lives around them. Things seem so much better on a sunny day. Sadly, though, there is danger in those rays. I know, it seems everything we love, like wine, steak, fries, chocolate, has its risks. But when it comes to the sun and the chance of skin cancer, the good news is you can protect and hopefully prevent, and diagnostic testing has just hit the road. Melanoma Canada recently launched its Molemobile, a movable skin cancer screening unit that's going to check you out on June the 10th in Woodbridge. Making a pit stop here at 105.9 The Region is Melanoma Canada CEO Fallon Katz. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Anne. So tell me all about the Molemobile. So the Molemobile is Canada's first mobile skin cancer screening unit. Uh, it's a trailer that has been retrofitted into a dermatology office. We have two exam rooms. Uh, one is designed for full body scans, the other for spot checks. And the trailer is uh, is powered by our Nissan Armada that will tow it across Ontario this year, and uh, hopefully will be towed across Canada over the next five years. We're you know funding funding permitting and screening uh, Canadians for melanoma and skin cancers. And why go door-to-door, if you will? So the biggest challenge uh, in Canada and in Ontario with healthcare in general is access, and, you know, dermatology is is no different. Uh, There's a huge shortage in Canada for dermatologists. Uh, There's only 700 for our entire population and only 215 in Ontario. Um, The majority practice in, in major markets uh, but even in major markets, uh, the wait time to see a dermatologist can exceed six months. Um, so we want to make sure that we bring skin cancer screening to two Canadians. Skin cancers are on the rise, and one in three of us will face skin cancer in our lifetime. Um, so we wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, we know being diagnosed early is, is crucial to improving outcomes and, and saving lives. Um, these uh, mobile units have, uh, th- this is not the first, it's been done in the U.S. and in other parts of the world. And we wanted Canada to to have one um, and to mitigate um, outcomes and, and ensure uh, the best possible results for for our population. You talk about saving lives. Can skin cancer be fatal? It can. Uh, unfortunately, three Canadians die every day of melanoma, which is the deadliest type of skin cancer. Um, and sadly, those diagnoses are are on the rise uh, in Canada and around the world. Uh, skin cancers are more common than breast, prostate, lung, and colon cancers combined. And most Canadians don't, don't realize that. And they think it's something that, you know, can just be taken care of in the dermatology office. Um, but unfortunately, like I said, three Canadians are dying every day from melanoma. And let's talk about melanoma. What, how would you describe it? And what are the signs uh, that someone may be dealing with, a, with melanoma? So we look for the A, B, C, D, E's of, of melanoma. Uh, most melanomas are spotted or skin cancers are spotted by uh, patients themselves. Uh, so you're looking for an asymmetrical uh, molar lesion. So um, that means that it's not, the, it's not the same on either side. So it's not perfectly rounded. Uh, it may have B as border. So it may have like a jagged uh, or rough border. Uh, C is for color. It may have uh, multiple colors, some reds, some browns, some purples, some blacks. Uh, it may be very dark. Um, uh, D is for diameter, so it's larger than the size of a pencil eraser, uh, six millimeters. Uh, and E is for evolution, so a mole that changes, uh, something that might be itchy or could bleed. Um, and really, the, one of our, our uh, board members uh, likes to also talk about, and as she's a dermatologist, Dr. Julia Carroll likes to talk about the ugly duckling. So mm-hmm. if you've got a lot of spots, you could also be at risk, but there's usually one that stands out that looks different from the others. 
Uh, so that's the ugly duckling rule, and, and that might also be a mole you want to have checked out. And melanoma, is it always mole? Is that always its signature? Or you mentioned spots. Can it, can it start from spots on your skin? Yeah, so you want to look for that evolution, the changing. So it can be a spot that, that changes, right? Um, so, yes, important to look and examine your body. We have a, a monthly skin check. Uh, sign up on our website at melanomacanada.ca. Encourage you to check your skin every month. Look for those changes. Look for moles that are different. Uh, look for that ugly duckling um, and talk to your doctor. It's so important. I've got to ask, and it's an awful question, but why do people die from melanoma? So, unfortunately, if melanoma is caught later stage, uh, you know, the treatments have advanced over the last few years, um, but sometimes the, the treatments just aren't, uh, aren't able to work for every patient, and melanoma spreads, um, and depending on where it's diagnosed, it can spread to different parts of the body. Uh, melanoma also presents differently on different people, and so... Um, you know, whereas it, it, it may not have been caught early and, uh, and so diagnosed later stage to begin with and, and treatment is not even possible. Hmm. Um, so many people don't know Bob Marley died of melanoma. I did not know that. That's shocking. Yeah. That's absolutely shocking. Most skin cancers I have read are caused by ultraviolet radiation. Is that the case with melanoma? Correct, yes. Uh, 65 to 85% uh, of skin cancers uh, and melanoma are caused uh, by UV exposure from the sun or artificial sources like tanning beds. So let's talk about diagnosis. And that's what the key is to the mole-mobile. It's diagnosis. Then treatment can take place if there is a diagnosis of, of skin cancer. So it's coming to a neighborhood near you. What is the first and what are the next steps for anybody who wants to, uh, to visit the mole-mobile? So you can visit molemobile.ca. Uh, if you'd like to book an appointment uh, for a full body scan, you're welcome to, or you can walk in um, and do a spot check. So a spot check is a check on an extremity, uh, so head, neck, uh, arms, uh, legs, and a part of the body where you don't need to be undressed. Um, so you'll come out to the molemobile. Uh, you'll fill in some, some paperwork, uh, including a form from our partners at the Canadian Dermatology Association. Uh, you'll hop aboard the Molemobile, uh, you'll get your, your screening, and you can take a copy of that uh, CDA form to your primary health care provider. Uh, if you do not have a primary health care provider, as unfortunately so many of us don't, you can uh, visit a walk-in clinic where they will expedite your uh, referral to uh, a dermatologist. Can we talk about how we at home can start that process? So you look in the mirror, you look at your face, you look at the front of you, but the back of you, you may not be able to see what's going on. How do you deal with that? Ask a loved one is the, the best advice I can, I can give you, uh, is ask a loved one to do it for you. Uh, explain to them what they're looking for um, and ask if you don't have somebody you can ask. Uh, use a mirror. Uh, in the bathroom, uh, use a couple of mirrors. Um, it's hard, harder to spot. Uh, you can also ask if you have a, a, a masseuse um, or somebody you use uh, to, to do your hair um, to ask them to have a look at your scalp, uh, at your back, things like that. So we are in the middle of the first, you know, sort of real long weekend of spring-summer. A lot of people think it's the, the first unofficial start to summer this May 2-4 weekend. We're hoping... You know, we've, we've seen a lot of sun lately, little bit of rain in the forecast, but lots of sun we're hoping for. And then it's the summer. How do you encourage people to 
stay protected, stay smart when it comes to summer sun? So we like to talk about the three ways to block the rays. Uh, Keep it simple. So the first is sunscreen. Um, So you want to look for something uh, that's an SPF of 30 or higher. Uh, You want to make sure you're applying it uh, every two hours or more often if you're swimming or sweating. Um, You want to apply it liberally. Uh, Look for something that's UVA and UVB broad spectrum. Um, But really pick the sunscreen that that works for you. Um, Cover up is the second way. Um, so put on either UPF protective uh, apparel. There are a lot of great options out there these days. Uh, wear sunglasses, uh, put on a hat. Um, and then the third way is to seek shade um, and do your activities outside of peak UV hours, which uh, in Canada are between 11 a.m. And, and 3 p.m. So try and get your run in in the morning or later in the day um, and try to organize your you know, backyard barbecues and, and uh, you know, picnics and stuff like that outside of, of those hours. Think about yourselves when you're going out, even for those short walks. Um, when I, you know, wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is wash my face and put on my moisturizer that has an SPF in it. Um, but when you're going out throughout the day, if you, you know, walk your dog or several times a day, make sure you're reapplying that sunscreen because the UV can be really strong out there in, in the summer months, especially. And, you know, people forget that in the winter months when it's sunny, that we need to protect ourselves as well. It is very true, and we have a whole winter sun safety uh, campaign as well because the sun reflects off of ice and snow and actually can be more dangerous in the winter than it is in the summer. But it does reflect off the water as well, so if you're at the lake uh, this summer, please remember that. Uh, it, It hits you from the sky, but it also hits off the water. Okay, a couple of quick Q and A's when it comes to the Mole Mobile. First of all, why Ontario as its sort of inaugural trip? So why Ontario is because we have the largest number of skin cancer diagnoses in the country. That's why we started here. Okay, very good. How are you funding this? So we have some great corporate sponsors uh, and foundational partners uh, and then individual donations. So you can go to molemobile.ca and, and make a donate one make a donation, excuse me, $1 at a time. That's how That's how we're funding this. You'll be visiting major cities in Canada, but you're starting in Ontario. A lot of this has to do with long wait times to see a dermatologist, but there are other reasons why you have sent this, this out on the road, if you will. So underserved communities you want to visit, rural areas, indigenous regions as well. Can you explain a little bit yeah. more about that? Yes. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, the majority of dermatologists are concentrated in these major cities, uh, which, yes, they have long wait times, but at least we, we do have access. In remote indi- and indigenous communities, uh, often there's no access at all. Um, so it's important for us to, to head out and bring access to those communities. Um, and then for underserved communities, oftentimes going to a dermatologist is, is simply inconvenient. They're not open on the weekends and, and people need to need to work to support and take care of their families. Uh, so we're open uh, on Fridays as well as on Saturdays uh, in different markets to to bring uh, dermatology screening to, to those who need, need it. And last but never least, can we reinforce the importance of, of helping to speed up the time to diagnosis, vital when it comes to improving a patient's outcome? Exactly. Early diagnosis is key to, to treatment intervention and it's key key to survival. So the earlier we can get screened, get diagnosed, uh, the more likely the patient is to survive. You launched this earlier this month. What's been the reaction so far? Incredibly positive. We've, uh, we, we've been completely booked for, for appointments. 
um, you know, and uh, and we're just trying to get out there as much as we can into the communities and uh, and see as many patients as we can. We are tracking the number of uh, of patients we see and the number of uh, suspicious moles and lesions we find, and so. Uh, we hope at the end of this to uh, achieve our goal and screen 25,000 uh, Ontarians this summer. Well, we want Ontarians to hop on the mole mobile. Melanoma Canada's CEO, Fallon Katz, thank you so much for making a pit stop here at our station. Thank you for having me, and I hope everyone has a great long weekend. Stay sun safe. <laughs> Smart. We stay on the health beat. Anchaliza Bacchus now with help for seasonal allergies. If you're like me and you've been feeling extremely affected by seasonal allergies this year, you are definitely not alone. The pollen in the air has been higher this year and so many people are dealing with runny noses, swollen eyes and skin issues. Joining me to talk about this is Dr. Masood Gruhi from the Allergy Clinic in Richmond Hill. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. So, Dr. Gruhi, let's just start off with what is going on in the air. Why are people experiencing such strong allergy symptoms this year? We noticed that the rate of allergy is increasing, and we know that environmental factors are involved. It is shown that higher temperature and increased CO2 in the air promotes more plants and larger plants and increases the amount of pollination. And also, the season has been prolonged. We have noticed that the season starts earlier and finishes later uh, than previous years. One of the studies have shown that there is about uh, 13 to 27 days extra for each season for the past few years. For example, one study has shown that from Texas to Saskatoon, there are... uh, about 13 to 27 days longer. And the further we are, the more days we have with the pollen season. It is well known that ragweed season ends by first frost, but first frost usually is getting later and later. Okay, and have you seen an increase in patients coming to see you with allergy symptoms this year? Oh, definitely. Allergy is uh, on the rise, and we see more and more patients And it's not just my experience. Uh, Studies have shown that allergy is increasing. And why the increase? Is it just environmental factors? Chances are that environmental factor is one of the important factors. People who come from areas with less allergy, they develop more allergy in our environment. And what's the difference between an environment that has a lot of allergens and one that doesn't? And where would those areas be? Studies have shown that there is a difference between urban and rural locations. For example, cities are heat sinks and they uh, radiate the uh, heat and also uh, CO2 is more in environment and that's why CO2 provokes larger plants and uh, more pollen in the air. And what have been the most common allergies that you've seen come into your office? What we call it environmental allergy or seasonal allergy, in fact, is what we call it allergic rhinitis or uh, hay fever, which presents with uh, stuffy nose, runny nose, sneezing, itchy palate, itchy ears, and sometimes eye involved as well, what we call it allergic conjunctivitis, such as teary eyes, itchy eyes, and occasionally reddish or pink eyes. Allergic asthma is also on the rise. 
And is that also due to environmental factors? Environment has a role into it, although there are many other factors. For example, family uh, history of atopy or genetic predisposition to develop allergic disease has a role. Environment also has a role, including maternal smoking and exposure to smoke during the first year of life, as well as increased CO2 in the air. Okay, and what would you give, would you prescribe as a method of treatment for people who have allergies or have just been diagnosed with allergies? Does the treatment differ uh, for those who just discovered they have allergies and for those who have dealt with it for a long time? Treatment of allergy, any kind of allergy, is prevention of exposure. For example, if someone has a cat or a dog at home and has allergy to their pet, the best would be avoiding exposure. That means rehoming and finding the new home for their pets. However, in my experience, never happens. In the meantime, for those who have outdoor allergies, such as allergy to trees and trees pollen or grasses and the weeds, going out on a windy day exposes them to more pollen, but choosing a calm and quiet day or after rain will be helpful for them and decreases the exposure to pollen. And are there any diet changes or things that you can take orally to help relieve your symptoms? Yes, uh, pharmacotherapy is the second step. That means taking medication. We have antihistamines that are available, and we have newer generation antihistamines that are non-sedating. One of the problems we had with the older generation antihistamine was drowsiness. This is not the case for new generation and second generation of antihistamines that we have readily available from over-the-counter to prescription antihistamines. We have intranasal steroids that are mainly anti-inflammatory steroids and they help for uh, decreasing the symptoms. There's also a combination of antihistamine and intranasal steroid, which also works very well for those who have allergic rhinitis or hay fever. And last but not least is what uh, we call it immunotherapy. And in general term, people call it uh, allergy shot. Injection immunotherapy has been used for many, many years. Sublingual immunotherapy, which is a pill that they use under the tongue, is absorbed quickly under the tongue and usually helps for the symptoms and eventually may even uh, treat the allergy for good. Okay, good to know. Lots of good treatment tips. And you mentioned that the allergy season seems to be getting longer. So based on the way things are going now, when do you think the peak of this is going to be over? For each reason, and for each region is different. Tree pollen season usually starts early, late March, early April, mid-April, and may continue up to mid-June or late June. Grass season starts around April and May and may continue until end of summer. However, peak of grass season is June and July. And ragweed usually starts later uh, in the season, usually around mid-August and can go into September and early October or until first frost. And as I mentioned, the season has become longer. That means we are uh, having milder winters and spring starts earlier 
All right, some great information from Dr. Masood Gruhi, who once again operates out of the York Allergy Clinic in Richmond Hill. If our listeners want some more information or want to book an appointment, where can they go? They're welcome to contact their family doctors, and family doctors are very well prepared to refer them to any allergist close to their home. And also they can refer for allergy tests and further uh, treatment if needed. All right, Dr. Gruhi, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. After the break, the fast-growing sport of pickleball. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. I'm Ann Romer. We're serving it over to Jim Lang now on the pickleball court. Well, the city of Vaughn is going to become pickleball central in New York region very soon with multiple facilities that you'll be able to play this fast growing sport all across Vaughn because pickleball has become one of the fastest growing sports in all of North America. To talk more about it, thrilled to be joined by Anna Dara, the city of Vaughn's director of recreation services. Anna, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Well, I'm excellent. I mean, this is fascinating to me about how popular and how much pickleball has exploded in popularity. When did the city of Vaughan realize that there's so many people that want to play it and such a need for it that they need to expand the facilities? Oh, that's a very good question. And over the years, actually, the, the sport has grown in popularity, not only in Canada, but in our community as well. Um, pickleball, uh, for those who may not know, is, is played with a paddle and a wiffle ball, which is a plastic ball with holes on a badminton-sized court with a slightly modified tennis net. And it can also be played on a tennis court modified with additional line painting. So it makes it a little bit easier to, uh, to, to play on a, on a smaller size court in comparison to a tennis court. And the, the paddleball sport combines elements of tennis, badminton, and ping pong. So if you've ever played one of those sports, pickleball is for you. And Nana, the amazing thing to me is at one time when I first heard about it, I associated with, you know, senior citizens and the elderly, but there are people, men and women of all ages playing it now. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of the sport. Irrespective of your skill level or your age, pickleball is for everyone. And in fact, it was created with that in mind. It was created back in the, in the 60s, if the, oh. for those of you who may not know. Um, a, a fellow by the name of Joel Pritchard and Bill Bell, they wanted to alleviate their boredom and make sure everyone in the family could play, keeping the rules very simple. So that's clear. Um, they keep they kept the rules simple, and then after rummaging around, they found they found some ping pong paddles, a perforated plastic ball, and headed to the badminton court. And with some help from their friend, and a few games later, the sport of pickleball was created. And the rest is history, as they say. And the rest is history, as they say. Absolutely. Yeah, and I I know Vaughn has some big big plans for people to be able to play pickleball in the city. Just explain to the listeners what's coming in the next few months and few years in Vaughn when it comes to pickleball. For sure. So whether you wish to play outdoors and indoors, we have pickleball opportunities for everyone. Uh, so currently for outdoor play, there are nine outdoor shared-use pickleball and tennis courts located in parks throughout Vaughan, with an additional 10 shared-use courts to be retrofitted this year. And for all the pickleball, pickleball fans out there, we have great news. 
eight new dedicated outdoor pickleball courts are coming to Le Park Park in, and Carville Community Centre by the end of 2024. Wow, that's that's big. That is big, absolutely. Well, that's amazing. Now, uh, for people that say, geez, I'd like to play this, and I live in Vaughan, is it, do they have a way that the city of Vaughan can teach people just the basics so they can get introduced to the sport? Absolutely, we do. So not only do we offer the the outdoor opportunity, but we do offer indoor pickleball programs as well, recreational indoor pickleball programs, which uh, which operate on a first-come, first-served basis and are open to all skill levels to practice and play. So we have sessions that can run up to two hours long, and currently there are three community centres offering drop-in pickleball programming, North Thornhill Community Centre, Dufferin-Clark, and Al Paladini, Al Paladini. And with the newly renovated Garnet A. Williams Centre, which will um, be uh, coming soon um, when it reopens this summer, there will be some additional uh, excuse me, drop-in uh, recreational opportunities as well. And uh, we, we encourage everyone to pre-register and prepay, and uh, the opportunity will be available seven days in advance. But in addition to the recreational drop-in programming, we also offer registered indoor pickleball programs, which are available at community centers community centers across Vaughan. Um, so we offer the Learn to Play Pickleball, which is an introductory program to pickleball. So through friendly gameplay as either singles or doubles, you can learn basic pickleball shots, court awareness, and scoring. But there are some of, of many residents who are quite competitive, mm. so we do offer Pickleball Ladder. It's a competition where you can work your way up the rankings by winning matches against other Pickleball Ladder players with similar skill levels. And if you challenge someone and you win, you take their spot in the ranking and they get bumped down one spot. So lots of opportunities, whether it's recreational drop-in or registered programs for those that are a little bit more interested in learning how to play Pickleball. Speaking with Anna Dara, the direction, or Director of Recreational Services for the City of Vaughan on the feed and talking about the explosion of popularity of pickleball in Vaughan, in New York region, in the province, in the country. And I know there are stories of celebrities, Jamie Foxx, for one, playing pickleball. It's anyone and everyone. It's, it's become such an inclusive sport. That's what amazes me and impresses me about pickleball. It's for everyone. It is for everyone. And I know you mentioned uh, Jamie Foxx, but... Former tennis greats like Andre Agassi and uh, and John McEnroe have also oh. embraced pickleball down in the U.S. So it is uh, it is a sport that is fun for people of all ages, from teenagers to older adults and skill levels. It's a great way to get active with others. You can play as singles or doubles, and indoors or outdoors. So anyone interested in pickleball. Um, Visit our website, learn more about the sport, and we encourage you to either drop into one of our community centers uh, to experience uh, pickleball or to register for a program and enjoy it, as many others in our community are doing so. I assume you've played Anna? <laughs> Very good question. No, I did play tennis. Um, I have not tried pickleball, but Jim, if you'd like to learn with me, I'm happy to uh, take you up on uh, on an offer, or if you would like to take me up on my offer, happy to uh, to meet you at one of our community centers and we can learn together. I think we're going to have to set that up because it's one of those sports that <laughs> I really want to 
passed out. I'm like, but I don't want to be embarrassed out there if I'm with someone really good and I don't know what to do. So I thought maybe I'd ask about it. So thank you for sharing that. As always, you can go to Vaughn.ca and just go to the link to find out more about uh, recreation services in the city of Vaughn. There are so many different facilities and opportunities in Vaughn to get active through spring and summer, and especially pickleball is going to be one of them. And over the next few years, Vaughn will be maybe the pickleball center and epicenter in the province. And thank you so much for joining us in the feed to talk about pickleball and Vaughn. It's such a great and exciting sport, and it's great to see Vaughn stepping in and uh, making it available for so many people. Thank you, Jen, and uh, we appreciate the time to, to be able to promote it. And uh, as you mentioned, for any additional information, please visit bond.ca forward slash recreation for more pickleball programming. If you missed any part of the feed, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you so much for listening.